We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, this is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Coming here Thursday evening, thank you for being here. It's, uh, it's April 6th, and we are live here at Falling Knife Brewing Company. How's the sound sound? Is this all right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Uh, I'm joined by Britt Robson from Mim Post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all know Britt if you've read an article with a big word in it that's about the, the Timberwolves. Uh, and Kyle Tige, uh from Score North and this this podcast. Kyle ran Canis Hoopus for a while, and he Kyle flew here from Portland for this, so you can definitely clap for Kyle too. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So again, thanks for being here. Uh, very cool for me for all of us uh, to have you guys all here and wanting to come and talk about, think about this really, really weird Wolves team. Uh, our plan today is to, I know we kind of want to let you guys control the conversation. Uh, we'll start talking a little bit here, but we do have an extra microphone over here uh, that we're going to have, you know, questions, topics, whatever, whatever you want to hear about, uh, we will talk about today. Um, so I don't know, move your way over here. I guess this is kind of a line. I don't know if you guys want to ask questions, but uh but you you can once we get uh, once we get to that time. Uh, but I think the place you guys is to just start by just start about talking about where this team is right now. We're 80 games in, 40 and 40. Britt, you wrote today about how this team is perpetually 500 this season, and it seemed like your assertion was they might stay that way. Uh, how how are you, Britt, feeling about these these final two games? And what it is going to mean going forward for uh, you know for the plan and for this for this playoffs here. Well, I think the evidence is that there are five hundred team, uh, five and five, ten and ten, fifteen and fifteen, nineteen and twenty one, twenty one and twenty five, thirty one and twenty nine, thirty five and thirty five, and now forty and forty. That's the ten game increments. So. Um, the, the best they've been in any 10-game stretch of the season is 6-4. and four. If you take it in 10-game increments, the worst they've been is 4-6. and six. It isn't like they've definitely been 
a really, really good team over a 10-game span or a really, really bad team. They've been solid at times, a lot of fun to watch. They've been awful at times, miserable to watch. And that's been a fairly consistent pattern, hasn't it? So 40 and 40 is the right number for them, I think, based on the eye test and based on uh, how often they disappoint and then strangely elate. Uh, I think that that kind of sine wave is uh, quasi-hypnotic right now, that 40 and 40. As for the future, I mean, the, the smart aleck answer, the one I put in my column, is uh, one and one, uh, you know, 41 and 41, and then one and one in the plane, which means they don't make the playoffs. Uh, I think that's definitely a possibility. I think that New Orleans might be slept on right now since the All-Star break to the third best defense in the NBA. Um, if they don't get Zion back, I think it's a net benefit for them right away because they're playing very well right now. This kid Murphy is just shooting the lights out. He's a great three-point shooter. Uh, Ingram is playing really well. CJ, they have a, a lot of good shooters. And then you got Herb Jones and Jonas Valanciunas, who always gives his team fits. So I think it'll be a tough game. And I think it's kind of great in some respects, very reminiscent of the Denver 82nd game where you win and good things, really good things happen. You lose and very less good things happen. And so I think that's what we're looking at on Sunday, quite frankly. That is the, that is the sober analysis of this. Uh, Kyle, what's, what's reason to be optimistic about these, uh, these last two games in the, the playing and playoff? In all seriousness, like how, how could they not be the perpetually 500 team that they've been all season and not go one and one in these last two games or get bounced into play? And like, why, why can this team be what maybe we thought they were going to be coming into the season? Well, I think we've talked about, and Britt can talk to this as the historian of it, like, this has been the most frustrating season. I don't know why anyone is here. Like, <laughs> um, but as I uh, tweeted the other day, like this is only the second time they've won 40, like back-to-back 40 win seasons or the first time since Kevin Garnett was here. So every time you expect them to go left, they go right. And every time you expect them to go right, they go left. We all watched, I mean, admit it. We all watched the Blazers game on Sunday. And I texted you that day. I was like, we're not going to have this event because no one's going to want to come. And then they do what they always do. And then they go beat the Nets. So Britt had a really good article again at Min Post today. Check it out. Um, and everything he says is right because it's smart. Uh, and I'm just kind of pie in the sky. But I don't think anyone in this room really expects much from them now, even though we all remember how much fun last season was. You know, walking out of the Target Center drunk, yelling Wolves in six, Wolves back, all that stuff. But I think everyone kind of expects them to just falter. I mean, they play the Spurs on Saturday. What's their record against all the bad teams? Six and 30? Not great. <laughs> so I think we all expect them to lose on Saturday, and I think maybe they'll surprise us. And then on Sunday, you expect them to win, and they won't. But I still think, and I love Britt's opinion and your opinion, but like, if you just get in, no one's going to have expectations for them, I don't think. Right. Um, even though you should, even though you spent all the money in the world to bring in this all-star center and stuff, like, I just think that once they're in, the pressure is much more on a Denver much more on a Sacramento, much more on a Memphis. And that's kind of a freeing feeling as like, again, kind of being an underdog team in the playoffs. Yeah, I think I'm somewhere in between the two. I mean, I when it was four games left going into that Portland game, 
I was kind of of the mind or of the expectation that it was going to be 4-0. Like, you have a clear, like, a clear goal that you can make by just beating two really crappy teams and two pretty definitively mediocre teams. And I was, having had watched the first four or five games since Cat got back, I was like, this team, this is the first, that was the first time this season actually on the floor that I thought this team wasn't a 500 team. And I said that to you, Britt, while we were sitting in the game. I'm like, you're like, well, what do you think is going to happen in these final four games? I'm like, I kind of think they're going to win all four of them. <laughs> and then they lose to the Blazers. And uh, so I was wrong. And that's just kind of what this season has been, right? It's, it's legitimately been hard to cover and to, to talk about because I don't want to do the thing where I'm like, oh, they're awesome one day, they suck the next day. But that's kind of what they've they've proven to be over over 80 games. And I think I'm still of the mind that there's something better than that 500. I, you know, now that it's a little bit clouded, you know, got no Nas and that seemed to be a little bit of an elixir to kind of making this whole identity work. But it shouldn't be about Nas Reed to be able to make you be a functional team going into a play-in or a playoffs. And I think I still hold that belief to some degree. I would think, I just think it's super important that they get into a playoff series that <laughs> we learned as much about Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, Angel Russell, whoever last season, when they actually went and played Memphis in a seven game series. And clearly the front office thought that way too. They made a huge move specifically to address the weaknesses that that Memphis series presented in and they were like okay Rudy Gobert is the answer there and obviously Rudy hasn't been the answer to that yet but I think the the point is is that in the playoffs you learn what your strengths are and you particularly learn what your weaknesses are so that's I thought they would have the mindset of that I thought that would drive them to win the final four games and maybe lock themselves into a playoff series by getting the six seed or the five or the four seed even seemed possible a week ago and I just, my hope is with this team that they can recognize those stakes and the value of that so as to be able to play in a playoff series. Not that I necessarily think they're going to go into Denver and beat them if they get there or Memphis, but it's their chance to prove that this season hasn't been a failure is to go and actually show something for a week against the Memphis Grizzlies or against the Denver Nuggets, whoever it ends up being. And I think I believe that they can, they have enough in the tank and they've had enough time here with Carl back to at least be able to show us who they can be. And I, I'm, I mean, it's why I'm excited to see these last two games, the play in what happens, but I mean, Brit, like if they don't make the playoffs, what, how do you think you will look back on, on this season? Will it just be like a shrug of like, oh, I don't know, like, We'll see what next year is or or to you, is it at a point of you need to make changes because you didn't get there? Well, I think what I think about it is not as important as the way the team will react and the team will the team has a boatload of rationalizations that they can pull out if they don't make the playoffs. Um, a management group that sacrificed three rotation players and five first round picks to get somebody. Um and then pulled off another trade for a point guard in his 16th season. 
these are not rebuilding things. These right. are things that say, this is our status quo. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's enough disruption just to be able to say, we were talking about it when Cat was out for a month. We were saying, well, they'll be able to say they've missed 20 games without Cat. We have to run it back to see. Well, they missed 52 games without Cat. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's a huge rationalization. If you're inclined to think that you can still put it together, not only that, but you can set the nail on that. It's always bad to overreact once you've committed so deeply. And they've committed deeply enough that it doesn't make sense to say, well, we were wrong immediately. Now, there's obviously some reasons to think they have been wrong. But one of the things I do want to get into real quick is that it's not a negative or a positive thing. It can be viewed either way. But the thing about these wolves is that they usually put two of the three things they need together, but it isn't always the same two things. Yeah. And so this isn't necessarily a chronic weakness on this team. It's a roving weakness, which means there's also roving strengths, which means that you have times when this team has looked good in almost every facet of the game. So that's a positive. On the other hand, there are ways that this team can look bad that you thought they didn't have to look bad anymore, that they had solved that. So I think the ambiguity in addition to the mediocrity is something that makes it very unpredictable what will happen, um, as we know. But there's nothing to say that they can't win the next two, manage to get into the 7-8, catch a Lakers team off, and all of a sudden there it's Memphis, roll it back. Same thing all over again. I mean, that's not ridiculous. That's right. not like, oh, you're smoking something if you think they're going to get to the seventh seed and play Memphis. That's entirely possible. It is probably as possible as them losing out, getting the ninth seed, and losing to either OKC or Dallas. I mean, both of those things are possible. What's probably going to happen is something in the middle. But uh, I think there is a way to look at this team however your bias wants to look at them. In my case, I'm just saying to myself, I need more evidence before I can say this team is going to be anything other than what it's been for four months. Kyle, my, my question for you is, what what if they, you know, it is the 9-10 and they do end up being bounced and they don't get a playoff series how do you think about this team going into next season then? Like, is, whether it be the offseason or or do you have, like, needing to make changes to the roster, whatever, as a lot of people think they do, or are you of the mind, what, is, what would be your mindset if they just got the nine seed, didn't, you know, didn't make it into the playoffs and went into the offseason again and they ran it back? Would you have reason for optimism in that? And also quickly before you answer that, if people want to start coming up here to ask questions, I'll have Kyle answer here, and then we'll we'll start asking questions or having you guys ask questions and topics that whatever you want to hear us hear us talk about. But but Kyle, uh, what's your take on that? Well, no one wants my take because it's just optimistic. But I just go back to the the thing. I mean, Brits covered this team every year that they've been in existence for like thirty four years, and for the first time, aren't you thirty four? Yeah, so since I was born, good call. We were, uh, but 
you got these two, I mean, we're focused on Carl and Rudy. That's all you've really talked about so far. And it's like, you got these two kids that one of them was only allowed to come into this brewery six months ago. Yeah. Uh, and these Man. two kids come out in the 2020 draft. And in their first three years, two of those years are 40 win teams. That's a really low bar in the NBA because it's 50% of your games, but it's also a really high I can't swear. There's a really high bleeping bar because this team just doesn't do this. It's one of the worst franchises in sports. So two of the first three years with these two kids, like, I'm with Britt that if they don't make the playoffs, someone probably gets traded or fired. But on the same side, like, this, what if they were 40 and 40 and, like, Ant didn't make an all-star team and Jaden didn't play good defense? Then it's like, oh, shit, same stuff again, right? Five Luke Rittenhours. But you have... <laughs> Real, I mean, I don't. I, I really, I can want Brits opinion. Like, you actually, when's the last time you had like a foundation? With, I mean, Chris Finch just won his hundredth game, and he's second in franchise history and wins. That's also mathematically impossible. There are eighty-two games in a season. You play thirty-four of seasons. Like, do the math. Your second most winning coach had ninety-eight wins. So, I mean, for you as a historian, like, isn't this even if it's a disaster and everyone's people get fired and traded, like? You have to have at least a little optimism with the youth movement that's coming. We haven't even talked about Josh Minai yet. Oh, without a doubt. First of all, I, I don't think anybody's going to get fired or traded. Um, I think that they'll rationalize it and run it back. But I do think there is no question that Ant has justified being the first player taken in the draft. He's That's a high bar. I think he's meeting that bar. I think the Jade McDaniels obviously is a steal. Uh, I've liked him for a long time. Uh, he has impressed in terms of the way he's expanded his game and also in the way that he has waited. I mean, Jade McDaniels played power forward at 185 pounds his first two years in the NBA. And he was the fifth option on offense his third season in the NBA. This guy has not been given anything. He has been accorded roles that he was better than. And he proved that he was better than both of those roles. He proved that he was a wing stopper, not the last guy you could need to throw in at power forward. And he proved that he's not a catch and shoot fifth option in the corner. Uh, it's helpful that he's had a coach that really has faith in him. Um, but I do think that is a great foundation. I also think, in addition to that, you have now veterans around, Mike Conley, Kyle Anderson, Rudy Gobert. I mean, this team can run out people aside from the two third-year players that are like 10 years in the league, 16 years in the league, nine years in the league, with a couple of guys eight years in the league, 10 years in the league coming off the bench. The Wolves are not young anymore. They have a good foundation on those two guys, but they also have a really one of the more extensive veteran cores that they've had since any time I've covered the team. Let's uh, let's grab our first break for the people listening at home, uh, but then we'll get right into listener questions here from uh, from Fallen Knife Brewing. Uh, again, thank you all for being here. We'll be back in a minute. Today's show is brought to you by Land and Lore. If you're a dude who is still washing your face using a bar of soap or nothing at all. This one is for you. It's time to stop living like a caveman and start taking care of yourself with Land and Lore, the only men's 
skincare brand that doesn't suck. Let's face it. If you don't look good, you don't feel good. And if you don't feel good, you're not going to do good. So start your day off like you care and use Landed Laura. Your partner will thank you. And we'll be proud of you for at least trying. Fans of the podcast have even more reason to start caring. Use promo code 20caveman at checkout on amazon.com to get 20% off our face cleaner or moisturizer and extra credit. If you leave a review, that's 20caveman for 20% off land and lore at amazon.com. These two products are proven to help you look your best. So upgrade your life with land and lore today. Your face and your partner will thank you for it. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries, from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20by20solutions.com. That's T-E-A-M at 20x20solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 20 by 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. All righty. Do we have a question over there ready? Are you, is then somebody on the mic? All right. I think we got a mic right there. It's, it's live. If you have a question or topic you'd like us to get to. Oh no, that we won't do that. We won't do. Well, I don't know if we're doing names and all that. I'm Christian. There fan you, of this yeah, show. What's your name? Um, so I guess my question really starts with, uh, obviously, this has been a crazy wolf season. Nothing but ups and downs. I'm sure a lot of your guys is like Twitter or Twitter GMs are just I message GMs kind of go crazy. A topic that comes up in mind is a lot of my friends think Chris Finch should be gone with some of the things that's happened. I'm not of, of the mindset that that should happen. I just think it's been like a crazy season for the Wolves, but really for all teams in the West, for whatever reason. But I really am curious just because, like, I know a few people who come to me like, oh, Chris Finch isn't doing a good job. I'm like, calm down. I'm more so like with Kyle, like, back-to-back 40-plus win seasons, back-to-back seasons of competitiveness. And, like, obviously, I think there's optimism that, like, we can really be something in the near future. But I really am curious from your guys' perspective as just guys who cover this team extensively, like, how would you rate Chris Finch as a coach this season? Like, how do you think he's done managing all the chaos, the ups and downs, and really the the double big experiment that we thought would kind of be like Jared Allen and Evan Mobley yeah. in the West, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll take that first. Uh, you know, Britt, we, we've talked about for a couple of years now, what you've said is Chris Finch is the best coach that you've covered on this Wolves team ever outside of Flip Saunders. Is that right? Well, what I said was that Last season, Chris Finch coached the Wolves better than I've seen a coach coach a Wolves team in the time I've covered him since 1990. And so if that was if if last season was an A minus, yes, from Chris Finch, what is this season been? I think that's the question. C minus. I would I, agree with that. Yeah. I, I think that um, first of all, I still admire Chris Finch. I'm a Chris Finch stan. I'm somebody who. Um, thinks that 
they're not necessarily going to do better if they go in a different direction. What I will say against Chris Finch is that he lets the team play, which I totally agree with, and he structures things around what he sees the team do so that he organizes whatever sets he has according to what things are done best. The problem with letting a team play, it is it is a style of coaching, but if the team doesn't play well, then you have not made a good decision. Mm. So the fact that the, t the Wolves have not played well when he has let them play does not reflect well on his coaching, even if you say, well, it's on the players because Finch put it on the players. That still has been his decision to put it on the players. Yes, it's their failure, but it is also the coach's failure for letting that happen. So I would say C minus. I would also say that um, Finch has always held the locker room. Um, the Wolves have had one of the better locker rooms. They have a lot of crazy personalities in that locker room. Um, I think that veterans up and down the block have spoken highly of him. I had nobody's ever left the Wolves and said Chris Finch sucks or whatever. Um, and I just I like the way he's honest. When he criticizes people, it doesn't sound personal. It sounds like he's reciting facts. You know, Cat didn't play, you know, we, we didn't get out on defense very much. Cat wasn't out on defense. It wasn't like, you know, goddamn Cat wasn't out on defense. It was like, well, you saw it. Cat wasn't out on defense. It's like a very factual way of criticism. And I enjoy that personally. And I think the players, to some extent, appreciate it. What about I you guys? Yeah, I, I, I'll grab quick, Kyle. Like, my, my thing, and I guess people who have listened would know this, is that I, I think, and you said before, Britt, like, this isn't a young team. I, I am firmly in the mindset that this is a young team, even, even if you do have Mike Conley, who's been on the team or been in the league for 16 years, Rudy for 10, whatever. Like, and I think you actually corrected me one time. You're like, it's an inexperienced team, and that's all that it is. That's all that matters, right, is Ant is inexperienced, Jaden is inexperienced, doesn't mean they're bad, and Rudy is inexperienced in what he is being asked to do this year, as was D'Lo, as was pretty much everybody. And so if you have a group, doesn't really matter to me how old they are if they're inexperienced in what they're being asked to do. And then my head goes to as a coach, if that is the case, then your players are less reliable to do to create on their own. And then as a coach, I think the recourse there is to put in more structure, which is like against Finch's ethos in general. I think we've, we've come to gather, but when I think back on this season and just like, I think I made the analogy the other day, when you're playing these shitty teams, like run the ball, you know, like, like you, you didn't, you could just, I think you could have just play setted the Portland trailblazers to death and scored 110 points and relied on the fact that Rudy is going to probably hold them under 110 points. And it's always, almost every game, been so free-flowing. And the free-flowing has led to the best basketball, but at the same time, it has a very low floor, and that's why you lose to the Pistons twice. That's why you lose to the Rockets, the Hornets, whatever. We don't have to go through all of that again. Um, but C-minus does not to me mean you need a new coach like that doesn't mean that at all I think Finch probably would have done some things differently this year if he could do it over again right 
Um, and next year, I think he will probably have to because if, if we're talking C minus 12 months from now, he is going to get fired. Like, I think that's just the reality, the reality of the situation. So Kyle, I'll let you hop in on Finch here quick and then we'll, we'll take another question. So COVID started in March, 2020. Yep. And I don't know if anyone can remember that far, but I don't think we remember how low the Timberwolves stock was as a franchise. Um, and again, March, 2020 is before you draft the 2020 draft class. I joke with my friends all the time that I think Anthony Edwards saved the franchise. I don't really know if there's a people trying to buy them like Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez, if Anthony Edwards isn't a part of it. And I say all of that to simply say, we watch these games and they don't beat the Blazers or they don't run the five guys out that you think they should. And you're like, Finch is an idiot. But then we also just said that Ant and Jaden have continuously taken these leaps right. and we don't maybe credit Finch for that as well. Right. Like, yeah. The, the, in the podcast realm, you've probably heard me say this before, but like Mike Conley was on Ryan Rossillo, Austin Rivers, obviously it's his pod. And everybody Austin, knows who Nas Reed is now. Yeah. But th those guys have said like, we got here and we can't believe how Finch talks to Ant. We can't believe how much he holds his feet to the fire and yells at that dude and how much Ant responds. So I say all that to say with no disrespect to Carl or Rudy or stuff like Ant's the most important person at Mayo Clinic Square. He's the most important person in this franchise. And if he likes Finch, and if the way Finch is has a father kind of tough love relationship with him, I think that matters just as much if you blew four games in an 82-game season because maybe you didn't run out the five guys in the last minute that you or I thought he should have. I, I also just want to say quickly that um, firing the coach... When I hear somebody say fire the coach, I need to hear a lot more after that statement to figure out whether or not it's just like the classic knee jerk. I mean, OK, let me hit you with a hammer here. Oh, OK, that's a good reflex. I see that. Now, can you speak? You know, um, I think Chris Finch put together a brilliant off defensive scheme last year. The Wolves were bottom 10 in the NBA in defense, 80% of their existence. And he put together a scheme that was an identity-forming scheme and united a very not well-regarded organization and group into something that really had a lot of pride in itself. And it was a brilliant coaching job. The idea that you're going to fire this guy because a guy who spent nine years in Utah being catered to the franchise surrounding him is having trouble adjusting that Carl Anthony Towns, shocker, shocker, is having some issues that you've got a 21-year-old wing guy and a 22-year-old guy as a wing stopper. And you've got a guy who's your point guard who didn't get a contract, knows it, wants to play for a contract is a little bit surly about things. I mean, there's a lot of noise going on here. And so the fact that Finch didn't do a good job, in my opinion, this year, doesn't mean, given his track record, that he should be anywhere near being fired. I understand the reality of things. If they don't win next year, they're not going to fire Tim Connolly. They're going to fire Chris Finch. And that's the way it works. I called Ryan Saunders the, like the walking scapegoat for 90% of his tenure here, because that's what he was. He was there to be fired. 
and Chris Finch will be the first guy whose head gets lopped off if this team does badly. That's just the way it is. I, I think it's such a good point from, from Kyle and, and from you, Britt, that like it is really important. And I, I mean, I'm sure you can see this on TV to some extent, but like the dudes in that locker room really do respect Chris Finch, and that's a variable here, too, that we should consider in the grade. Thanks for the question, Christian. Uh, I don't know where the mic is, but if you got a question there, too, uh, yeah, just come on up. Hey. Well, first, I just want to say um, you guys do a really good job at what you try to do, and I really appreciate everything you've been able to say this year. Kyle, I really appreciate you flying out here. You spent your own money to come be amongst us when we're having a disappointing season. That is pretty cool of you, so really thank you. Um, it's a little weird to bring up this topic, but you guys had a really wonderful segment about it. I think right after the Phoenix game with, and I, and I, it's, I think it's weird to bring up this topic because it hasn't really been a problem, I think for the past few games, but with the referees and how they have been this year. So it got me thinking about solutions and I wanted to think, I wanted to get your thoughts on maybe some of these solutions that I have to this. If that's all right. Here's a full notes app. Let's hear it. I, I have notes I've prepared. You feel free to call note. me crazy. I really respect your opinion. So go ahead. Uh, I think the the first problem is that there is a perception right now that there's cheating going on in the NBA from refs, and I think that needs to be addressed as a serious manner by the NBA, which means that they need some sort of third party investigation into this. Deal with it in a public manner, whether it's happening or not. I think that it's. That's the poison that you guys talked about coming into it. And that's probably the thing that needs to be addressed like right away. Um, the other ones I have are, I think when it comes to like the inconsistency of calls, that's probably where I get the most frustrated. It's a sport I really enjoy to watch. But when I see some actions being called one way and some actions being not, I, I feel like this is, it reminds me of when the NFL didn't have a very well-defined catch rule. And there was a lot of debate and people saw different things when they saw it on the court. So that usually leads that we need some sort of expanded definitions or something like that in the rule books on certain things. So those would be things like, I think illegal screens have a lot of questions as to how they're applied today. Like the Golden State Warriors. Can I, got a, I got a question for you, though. Like, yeah. Are you certain it's different with the Timberwolves than it is with different teams? I'm not even saying that portion of that but I think that there's a perception amongst pretty much any fan of the NBA when you look at a, a game that's going on it, it doesn't matter if you have the free throw difference or not those fans think they're being screwed and I think that's because there's a, a difference as to how certain plays are perceived because of the ways that they're inconsistently refereed and things like that so I don't think it's specifically a Timberwolves problem. And I, it definitely has not been a Timberwolves problem, I don't think, for the past three or four games. Right. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll hop in here. Um, I think the thing that you can control here as the Timberwolves is your reaction to the referees. And that has always been a problem, in, in my opinion. Uh, I, think, I think that's a fair reason to rip Cat. Um, he, he's as the leader of the team, has always 
outly been frustrated with the refs and, and holds your belief that they're being screwed and has talked about adversity uh, repeatedly, I don't think that does you any favors. I think that that actually compounds the issues, particularly when you're the leader. Like, I, I think about Nas Reed, who has grown up under Carl Anthony Towns, and I think he complains about the refs too much, and I think that is a product of having seen Carl do that. And, and overall, my biggest thing is control what you can control. And uh, I think, yeah, there, there are a lot of factors here. Uh, like I talked about last week after that game, I, I think the Donahue documentary coming out is some proof of concept to some people that this is e corrupt, even if that is only proof it was corrupt. Uh, I think gambling being a factor here has, has fueled people in believing that. Um, I, it's not my personal opinion. Uh, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze if you're the NBA in terms of being corrupt in that sort of way so as to get the Lakers in. Like It, it literally, whatever extra you would gain by having the Lakers in the playoffs, if you got exposed, the money you would lose from sports betting, that's not even close. So I, I, think, it's a, I think it's an overreaction by the fan base, if I'm being honest. Though I do think we have a refereeing problem. I think both, I think both things can be true. I just don't think it's as strong to the Timberwolves as how I gather people are perceiving it, Kyle. So this all feels like a combination of like a high school pep rally and an intervention. So I'll just say it like I love the Timberwolves, but I also love basketball more. And I'm a fan. He's a wizard. He's a genius. But like when I say the Wolves get a bad whistle, it's not like some fanboy like, oh, we're the only ones. I think officiating across the league has just been really bad. And I'm with you. Like, you tweeted out the other night, like, with Zach Zarba. Like, I just want consistency. Can you imagine, stop thinking about basketball, like, your job. If every day the rules and regulations of whatever the hell you did was just, like, vastly different. That would be impossible to work with. So, does Carl need to have less stray voltage? For sure. Do guys need to complain? Like, they lead the league in texts and in flagrant fouls. But on the same side, it's just, like, Across the league, I don't really hate anyone, but probably Adam Silver would be at the top. Just like he's focused on all these weird things. It's just like just make the game better. Just like we had the official Twitter account for the officials tweet out one night that they lost sleep because of a missed call in the Lakers game. Like you, that's you should not have that, and you should just have a consistency. Again, like, I'm, I'm all about, like, physical games. Like, that Nets game, Brent was right. Like, that was great. It was consistent. You let a lot of stuff go, but it was equal both ways. It's when it gets one side. I mean, that Celtics game, as Britt said when he recorded with you, was, like, the worst officiated game you've ever seen. Now, I don't think there was money on the line, but you stack those up three, four games in a month, and it's like, I understand the fan reaction, but I think yeah. all 30 teams think, like, we get a tough whistle, and it's because the league just hasn't addressed it. Do you have it to take, Britt? Well, I mean, the Timberwolves have more um, ejections, uh, more flagrant fouls. Uh, they are both getting a bad whistle and have a reputation that they have earned of being whiners. And I don't think uh, those two things are coincidental. Uh Look at the way Mike Conley is, is governed on the court. If Mike Conley falls over on a screen, 
the overwhelming possibility is he gets the whistle. Now, Mike Conley occasionally gets screwed by the refs and may go, but doesn't do anything else. He doesn't stamp his feet. He doesn't pound anything. He doesn't yell, hey. He doesn't do a million things that basically say, the reason I didn't do something successfully here was because I was unfairly hindered by somebody who wasn't a player. And I think when you do that consistently, you cheapen yourself. You may even be right. But in the long run, it used to be, you know, in the old days, you'd say never argue with somebody who buys their rink by the barrel back in the days when you actually newspapers matter instead of social media. But the point being, you don't want to argue with people with whistles in their mouths who basically determine the game. I mean, there are people who get away with it. Uh, Jimmy Butler, when he was here, got away with it. When he's in Miami, he gets away with it. He gets calls that nobody else gets. Draymond Green does a lot of things. He gets away with it more than anybody else gets away with it. Pat Bev would say things and do things to refs all last year. You wondered why he didn't get a technical. These people have figured out how the game is played within the game. And there are a lot of people on the walls who haven't figured that out. And as a result, they get flagrants, they get whistled, they get ejected. And I just think you could say the refs are bad and you're right. You could say the Wolves get an unfair whistle and you're right. But the Wolves have to change because the odds of the other side changing are not nearly as great as the capacity for the Wolves to change and rewrite that narrative so they don't get screwed all the time. Sweet. All right, thanks, Brent. We'll, we'll keep moving through these questions here. What do we got up next? Thank you, thank you. I'm, uh, my name's Jerry. So, uh, can I have a quick question? Can you talk about point guards? Who's the backup point guard for the next few games? And how about next year do we need a new backup point guard? I think that's a good question. I, just to go off the Brooklyn game, uh, Jordan McLaughlin didn't play. Nikhil Alexander-Walker did. I asked Finch about that after the game, and he said it wasn't any sort of signal that J-Mac is, like, done in uh, in the rotation, it was more a Brooklyn specific thing. I think it is kind of there's two kind of interesting questions here, Britt. Whether that be for next season addressing the point guard position, but let's start with who do you, how do you think they should be handling that going into these final few games of the 15 minutes, 20 minutes a night that Mike Conley is off the floor. What would you like to see them do in terms of backup point guard play? Well, I think I'm higher on Naw than you are. I mean, we sit next to each other, and I know I'm higher on Naw than he is, but I, I made it theoretical. Um, like J-Mac, Naw's game is immeasurably improved when he hits shots. Like J-Mac, there's not a lot of confidence he's going to hit those shots. So then you are down to if both of them are not shooting well, what does each one bring to the table? What J-Mac brings to the table is great decision-making and a really good sense of pace and some really good familiarity with some players. Now, I think that if Nas Reed is healthy, Nas isn't playing J-Mac's minutes. Mm. 
I think that was a really crucial dent in J-Mac's time is how well he improved Nas, who by extension was improving the Wolves. I also think that Finch is looking for offense out of that second unit and that Nas has a better capability of delivering that offense than J-Mac does. Now, that can, that's very debatable given the way J-Mac passes and, and motivates. But the word is out on J-Mac, and if it wasn't, there's a two-minute clip in a game where J-Mac misses five shots, three of them from point-blank range, that will remind people. So where I come down is Finch knows what he wants to do with his team. He loves J-Mac. He said out loud when J-Mac wasn't playing last year, and then he put him back in. That was a huge mistake. I'm not going to do that again. He repeated that, remembered he said that, and repeated that about two and a half weeks ago, and subsequently has made a change. Some of that is Nas's injury. Some of that is that Nas is six six, and this team, given the way Rudy and Cat play with each other, there's a lot more switching that is important than there was before, and Nas six six can switch much more easily than J Mac. So I don't think one is necessarily better than the other. I just think that Finch is looking for fits. And I think that he knows he can always go back to J-Mac. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with the change as long as it is not. I don't want Naw to get a long leash because the stakes are too high. I'll tell you, the way he played against Jer uh, Brooklyn, I always say Jersey, the way he played against Brooklyn, he put pace in it in a very similar way and made good decisions, made quick decisions. And I thought acquitted himself well. So on balance, I'm willing to let the experiment go forward. Go ahead, Kyle. The backup point guard is going to be Kyle Anderson. Because Finch that's what I was going to say. Because Finch wants to play that man. There's 48 minutes in the game. He wants to play him 60, right? So anytime Mike Conley is not on the ball, it's going to be Kyle. Because you already can't play Kyle and Carl and Rudy together in like a frontline situation. So it's just... Although I, I wouldn't be shocked for these next two games if Jordan McLaughlin doesn't play. And you just go, I mean, you saw when Finch wants to win, he's going to play Kyle 17 basketball minutes in a row. Mm -hmm. um, next season, whoever they had the question, it's probably got to be maybe for Wendell Moore to start. Because I feel like that, I, I saw the face. Like, that's kind of why you brought him in as a first round pick. But for these next two games, it's going to be a seven and a half man rotation back to Bridgepoint. Like, how much can you get from Nah just energy-wise, defensive-wise, but he wants Kyle Anderson to touch the ball every possession Kyle's on the floor. Yeah, I, I mean, my, my take of my opinion would be playing neither of them. I, I, that, that's what I would do, is I would not play Jordan McLaughlin or Nikhil Alexander-Walker or play them as little as possible. I mean, we've talked about this a bunch. My, my thought is, is play the big lineup and Ant slash Kyle is, is your point guard. I mean, that would just be my concise answer to it. I think, weirdly, Jordan McLaughlin's value has dropped since D'Angelo Russell left because you get so much of the J-Mac stuff from Mike Conley. I think a lot of what made J-Mac attractive was the fact that D'Lo was so different. And and given that what we know that J-Mac can't shoot, um, the, the answer to me, I don't think either of them are good answers right now, Nikhil or J-Mac, so... I would lean into, if it were me, I would lean into Kyler Ants as much as possible. You look like you want to respond to that. Well, I, I, 
what I would say is we don't have to say J-Mac or Nah. We could say Tory and Prince or Nah. Yeah. Um, Tory and Prince has had a, a real roller coaster since he came back, and I would give him a short leash. And I think that what I like about Nah is that um, there are certain players that play with an edge. And Torian Putz plays with an edge. But when he's not going well, his aggression hurts him. And he's, he's hurt the team with his aggression, in, I'd say, in the last five games or so. Um, Nah can hurt a team with his aggression too, but I think he's hungry. Uh, I think... Finch wants to invest in him. He got him here. And again, I think Torian Prince is 6'7", Nas 6'6". If you're switching, now Torian Prince is historically a better shooter and has a lot more range to his offensive game. But I do feel like there are situations where you can do that. You can put in Nas instead of Torian Prince. And in addition to having slow-mo you have another ball handler that can get the ball to slow-mo where he likes it at the nail and start to work it that way so i would say i think we all agree up here that the two point guards on the team de facto are mike conley and and kyle anderson but i think that kyle anderson is a quote-unquote point guard that is best with a certain kind of combo guard next to him. And that might be not. Uh, we'll, we'll keep going with maybe a little bit more rapid questions. We got a, we got a lot of people here in line. But, uh, but, Lightning first, round. but first, we're going to have uh, Dan Herman, uh, one of the, the owners of Falling Knife, kind of let you all know about what is going to be happening here for the play-in or playoffs. So actually, can everybody like clap for Dan? He's the reason that this, this all exists. Yeah, hey, everybody. Uh, so what's been really cool about this season for us, when I originally reached out to Dane about, you know, becoming a sponsor for the podcast, um, Tom, my business partner over here, Andy, who's not here right now, but we always wanted this to be a Timberwolves bar and like, cause we've, we've all had season tickets along the way and there isn't a place like you can go to a, a local bar and be like, Hey, will you throw the Wolves game on? They're like, do you mean the wild? And we're like, no, like, I mean, I mean the Wolves and is there a chance we can throw sound on? So like. We built this bar. We've got the two new projectors in, in this side here now. We used to just originally be the uh, four TVs in the back. But for the playing game, like, well, we won't know until Sunday night, Monday, when we're going to be playing. It probably looks like it's going to be Wednesday at this point. Maybe we sneak into that eight spot. But um, we're going to be open for it, even if it's like the nine o'clock game. We'll still be open. We'll stay open late. We'll staff up for it. And actually, for the play-in game, we're going to... You guys have ever seen that, like, giant truck that has, like, a huge TV screen on it? We're going to get one of those and park it outside because it's supposed to be, like, 80 degrees next week at that point. So uh, don't tell the cops because we're not doing the expansion of premises thing. So no narcs, all right? Uh, so we're going we're gonna to be doing that. And then if we, uh, you know, if we are so lucky to get into the playoffs – you know, it's one of the busier days before we had this partnership last year was the game one against the Grizzlies and we were just packed in the back. We didn't have the, uh, the projectors out here at that point. So we encourage you, you know, obviously we, we are fans. Um, it's also kind of cool whenever I get a text message from a friend that's like, dude, your, your tap room is fucked busy right now. Like 
it's standing room only. So uh, I'm really grateful that, that everybody has put their trust in us to be that kind of Wolves Bar experience that we have. Um, and we want to keep it rolling going into the next year. You know, hopefully we can get more games out of Cat next year. And the team is not a 500 team. It's something more or something better. So um, thank you, everybody. I mean, that's that's what I have. I think Tom wants to say something. I just want to say as weird as this season has been, it's been a really like cool thing to have Dane and and friends here to do this. It's been like really exciting for us just to be part of this. And um, just, it's been a really great thing. Uh, I don't mean to usurp anybody. I have a very super quick question for you three. Yes, go ahead. Three descriptors from each of you, just three single words on how to describe the team this year. Weird, weird, weird. <laughs> Kyle. I mean, frustrating, promising. Ah, uh, have all the kids left? I think so. And fucking annoying. <laughs> Just, I mean, because again, like, we joked about this, but it would actually have been easier if you go back and, like, go to Spotify and look at all Dane's podcasts or Flagrant House, selfish plug. It's a really great pod. You should listen. Um, every week, there's one happy podcast and one sad podcast. It would have been great if they had like an eight-game winning streak and an eight-game losing streak. Because then you could have been like, wow, we're really hammering Tim Conley for a week or two. And then for a week or two, we're really optimistic. They've never, as Bricks wrote today, like they never go three games above or below essentially kind of the line. So it's been super tough to cover because every time you're happy, then you're sad. Every time you're sad, you're happy. But those would be my ways. And Britt has way bigger words to describe it. So I'll give it to Britt. I think ill-fitting. There you go. Um, hyphenation. No, ill-fitting is one word. Fuckers. Any hyphenated word is one word. Privileged. Um, you uh, you used the word, I don't know what it means, cockatish in your... What? Uh, the wolves are a are cockatish, mediocre, coquettish. coquettish. It, it's a, I googled it. It's, it's a sexual word, behaving in such a way as to suggest a playful sexual attraction. Woo! Wolf so. back. If uh, coquettish is also meaning teasing, as in flirting, teasing. If somebody is a coquette, they are a tease. I agree with that. So when I said coquettish, by the way, is an adjective in this case. So they are coquettishly mediocre, which means they are teasingly mediocre. I like it. So, After I Googled it, I got it, and I agree. But I don't think coquettish is a word I would use for the third one. <laughs> I think ill-fitting, privileged, and... Um, um, enigmatic. I like it. I like it. Uh, we're going to take, again, one for the people listening at home, we're going to take one more break, and then we'll come back, and we're going we're gonna to lightning round this with uh, questions. And we'll here. do them real quick. Rapid yes. questions, rapid answers. Exactly, as Britt said. So back in a minute for those of you listening at home, and then we'll take some questions. Today's show is sponsored by Shady Rays. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. 
Shaderays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. It's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com, use promo code DaneMore for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 20,000 people. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, we are back and we are taking uh, questions here live at Falling Knife Brewing Company. Uh, yeah, give us your name and uh, where you're from and, and give us a, a question that we'll try and answer quicker now. My name's uh, DJ, I'm from Oakdale, Minnesota. And, you know, Wolves discourse and a lot of Wolves fans are really quick to jump to conclusions about what the Wolves should do on the off season or in the playoffs, who they should play, sign, trade, whoever, um, especially on Twitter. People are up and down all season. Um, so I don't know what, what you're is, talking about. <laughs> what is, for you guys, in your opinion, what is your best case scenario for a Wolves offseason move? Should we run it back? Should we should we trade somebody, sign somebody? Is, is there any sort of player in the league you want on the Wolves? Let's, uh, let's, for each question, let's just have one of us answer it. 
Do either? Do you have a? Do you have an opinion on that, Kyle? You just shook your microphone. Great, you got it. Um, I think they're going to stand pat. So, uh, I think that's what they're going to do. So, what I think, I always these questions of what would you do, make no sense to me because I'm not doing it. You know. I mean, it's, so what I will say is what I hope to see is the development of Josh Minot. If I'm looking at anything, if, if, if I'm looking at anything as a change for next year, it is regarding Josh Minot as like the fifth pick in the 23 draft. Yeah, I like you it. Take it from there. I, I, for, for once of the three of us, I am the lowest of the three on it, and I'm excited to be to be proven wrong. Let's take another question. Hey, guys. Uh, Carl from Woodbury. Appreciate everything as you guys have been doing. Britt, I've been following you since you were writing for the City Pages. Phenomenal job. You've got a great mind. I really appreciate everything you guys do. And, and I've become a better basketball watcher because of you guys. So I appreciate that. Um, my question would be more about Carl Anthony Towns and how they utilize him down the stretch. Do they potentially use him more like a, a Jokic? in more of the high post type scenarios and what does that look like offensively but also I think he struggles a little bit defensively on the perimeter as we all know um, he gets too aggressive and then he fouls so he's not the smartest defender in the world how do you think the Wolves can mask that a little bit as we go down the stretch I'll take that one um, I, I talked about this with Jace yesterday I think it was um, I, I think it really interesting answer to the rest of this very short portion of the season is finding the right place to use Carl specifically offensively, right? Is it going to be the post directly? Is it going to be the nail? Is it going to be that elbow extended? Is it going to be above the break and that delay action? Carl, it, it, that's not an easy question to answer, right? Like we have seen him have success all different places on the floor. And it seems to me that the place that they currently are most comfortable is in the double or is in the post when the double comes there and, and having him play off of that there. I think he can be most weaponized at the nail. Um, it's harder to double him there. I think the disappointing thing thus far, but understandable, is he doesn't have the same burst off the dribble going to the basket that he did last season. I thought that was one of the most encouraging developments of his entire career is if he got a step on you, you weren't going to, another big wasn't going to catch him. Um, he doesn't have that burst to me right now. That might just be a weight thing, a conditioning thing coming back. They need to figure that out um, because they very clearly need offense from him. Defensively, I'm just kind of like, kind of is what it is, you know, and, and it was always going to be about making up for it um, on the offensive side of the floor. I like that you don't have D'Lo in the mix defensively anymore. So Carl can kind of be the person you hide if you want to. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they've got to figure it out, uh, offensively where you can actually maximize him because he is not going to provide defensive value for this team right now. I think, I mean, he might be neutral, but I don't think he's going to provide defensive value these, these final two weeks. My boy, Phil up next. Good question. Good question. Good question. Hey, Dane, Kyle, Britt, uh, for the sake of time, this can be a one word answer from the three of you. If Tim Connolly hadn't lucked into drafting Jokic in 2014, would he be the GM of the Timberwolves? I would say no. No. 
Come on, Britt, mix it up. No, only because um, they were looking for a splash, and he doesn't make a splash without Jokic. Like, in all seriousness, I, I think that's right. Yeah, I, I, I do think that's right. And I, I, I think the job he did in Denver to do more than one word is a little bit better than that. Um, they maintained continuity in that group, and I think that's why that team had success. But Jokic is the primary reason they had success. And if you ask Tim Connolly about it, even he would say that was in many ways uh, lucky. Let's do uh, another question here. All right. Hey, what's up? I'm Drew. First time, long time. Not really a question, more just a statement for discussion. Uh, I think Josh Minot has a higher ceiling than Jaden. Discuss. Jaden? Wow. <laughs> well, that, that's a Kyle question right there. You can take that one, Kyle. Listen, I f- remember when you said Jaden would be a better player than Ant, but like, and then like the next week, Ant just popped off. But like, they've if you value basketball the way I know Britt and I kind of do collectively, like, I think Jaden and Ant might be closer than you think. Like, I mean, Ant's the all star, he's the scorer, he's gonna have his own shoe, but like, you win games because of guys like Jaden. And I'm with you on the Minot stuff. Like, we were in Vegas for Summer League, and I was underwhelmed at that point by Wendell Moore just because he's Dane's size for no better way to say it. Um, But Josh Minot, I mean, he was a four-star kid. Just, I mean, Jaden was five-star, but Josh was a four-star kid, falls in the draft, goes to a bad situation in Memphis. But um, I'm, I know he can't, I know Finch doesn't love rookies. He's kind of showed you that when he got here, he didn't even play Jaden for a while. But I just think another, what, 6'10", rim protector that can shoot and maybe dribble a little bit. I mean, he reminds me of, like, when giraffes have babies. Those first couple of days, like, their legs are all over. They don't really walk normal. Like, that's what Josh Minot is on a court. But the talent and the just kind of upside, you don't have a pick this year. And you don't have a pick for every other year until I die. But Josh Minot, like Grit said, is the fifth overall pick in the 2023 draft. And I expect him to crush at Summer League. And I expect him to be in the rotation next year. But you're waving the wand. The, the quick answer I would say is that you're making a dish that requires a lot of heat. That's a very hot take. And what I would say is a little too much heat. I think you burn the meal. What I will say to this is the front office absolutely loves Josh Minot. And you will, I guarantee, like at end of season interviews from Tim Connolly, you will hear him say the words, Josh Meinhardt is our first-round pick next year. And obviously that's some framing, but I don't hate that idea either. Like, I I am not as enamored as the two of you are. I see more giraffe than superhero, but uh, ready to be be proven wrong there too. Yeah, I'm not criticizing the sentiment of the question because he's a pro-Meinhardt guy. I'm I'm criticizing the idea that... um, his upside is Jaden McDaniels, yeah. but Jaden McDaniels has upside to go too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Katie. Hey guys. Hey. Um, I'm Katie from Wiggins Island. Um, Kyle, Hi, like the most optimistic Wolves fan I know, started this show by saying how frustrating the season has been and how it's been the most frustrating season, which I understand to some extent, but I'm wondering if Say we lose Saturday, Sunday. Can you give us a reminder of 
how bad it has been in the past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that was I mean, good, how long do we have, Dan? <laughs> I, again, I, I defer to... I, I think it's really... I shouldn't be up here. Like, this is the historian. He's the best... I'm, I'm in this because of Brit, and I'm in this because of Dane, but, like, you've been here forever, and there's expectations now. Like, Dane, you're not having a live event in April, like, 18 other years, because no one gives a damn about this team. We're fully into the Twins going 80 and 82. Uh, it has been worse, but now there's expectations, and with expectations comes emotions and feelings and all that stuff, but I'm still optimistic, like I said earlier, just because you have... You have real things you're building on. This isn't the Jimmy year where you're kind of all in on a little older core. I know you mentioned all the veterans, but the heart and future of this team is still two kids that just started legally drinking beer. Well, the question was, how bad could it, has it been? I think my favorite Wolves moment was when Jimmy Rogers went to the mic, and this is literally what he said. He said, I know that Sacramento team is 15 and 42, but they didn't play like it tonight. <laughs> I think that pretty much sums up the Wolves back then. Oh, a 15 and 42 team beat them by like 30 points. And the coach went to the mic and said, you know what? They were just a better team. It wasn't our fault. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's do another yes. question. Uh, Mike, first time caller, long time friend. Uh, with Nas's free agency coming up, how do you kind of weigh, like, I know Britt's mentioned before, his, his, uh, his splashy plays are, like, his ceiling is very high, but on the aggregate, the Wolves, over the last few years, have seemed to lose his minutes. How do you weigh that with, right now, they seem to really miss those kind of four to six minute bursts, bursts of offense? Well, I, I get the Nas Reed question. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think with Nas, and I've said this, like the biggest thing of why, like not being able, not being able to play him again next to another one of the centers was because they never gave it enough rope, right? It was always like two minutes here, two minutes there. And then for the first time, when we actually saw him playing for eight minutes in a row next to Cat or Rudy, it worked. And... And, and I am not, like, that's all I needed because I, I believed in the player. I just wanted to see the functionality of him. You're right, like, the on-off numbers with Nas have always been terrible. But, like, on-off numbers kind of work in the sense that, like, when you're off, who's on? And for Nas's entire career, the most impactful player has always been Cat. And then this season, the most impactful player has been Rudy or Kyle, and, and those were the players who were on when he was off. So, I mean, everyone who listens to this knows that I love numbers, but that, that's like the context that it for sure misses. I think, I think with Nas, and, and I think it's pretty clear now, I think very few people are in disagreement that Nas is not a player, right? Uh, ultimately, though, the question is, I mean, Nas is going to take the most money he can get wherever it is. That's just as as would probably all of us, given the context of his situation. Um, the question now for the front office is, is he worth his market value to you? And 
oddly enough, so much of that is tied to those four or five games he played next to both Cat and Rudy. Uh, I, I've said on the pod multiple times before, uh, the the salary cap restraints are not punitive right now. They're punitive in a, a, a season from now, going into 2024. Um, I, 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 would, I would think it makes sense to bring him back. I don't think he will be back because I do not think the team that offers him the most money will be the Minnesota Timberwolves. Though I do think it would make sense from the Minnesota Timberwolves' perspective to bring him back. Anybody else want to pop in on that or keep moving? We've said this before. I've t- texted you this. Nas Reed is the single greatest development story in 34 years of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Also, again, that bar is super low. But you, bu- the owner, I don't, forget the front office. Like the ownership group bought this team and the next day they were worth $200 million more. So I'm not really concerned from a fan's perspective about luxury tax and how much money you might not make because you already have an asset that's appreciated. You sign Nas and then to the CBA and Smart Dane, like figure it out in 2024. You cannot, when you make the Rudy Gobert trade and you burn all your other assets, you cannot lose the single greatest development story in your franchise's history. Well, somebody who ripped Nas unmercifully for his first two years. Um, I was wrong. I, I, I think that uh, Nas has remade himself. He actually got a break when people told him to lose weight and the only way he was going to fit in was going to be as a four. Um, I have a lot of questions about his defense. His defensive positioning is not great. I think that his burst, his handle, his playground game really fits a certain niche on this team. Chris Finch and Tim Connolly put all the markers on the fact that they were going to go big. And when they went big, the other side was going to have to blink. That has been a very dicey bet for most of this season. Chris Finch figured out that having Kyle Anderson and Nas Reed getting very, very heavy minutes next to Rudy Gobert and Cat in various confirmations, combinations, was a way to go big and still vary your schemes against different kinds of opponents. If that philosophy is something that they believe in, then they will pay what it takes to keep Nas. If that is a philosophy that they think they can punt because they have something better up their sleeve, then they will let Nas go. Well, I just, I don't know what the better up their sleeve is given how limited they are. So I'm, I'm fully in go big or go home mode. Let's take another question. Hey guys. Uh, I, I feel insane for thinking about this and asking this and I want to preface this like the Portland loss plays no bearing on this question but would you rather be locked into the five playing Phoenix or rolling the dice with the play in whatever and get Denver or Memphis or Sacramento in the first round I I, I don't think that's crazy at all I think Phoenix would be the worst and I actually Britt you and I have talked about this I think I think Phoenix is the worst matchup for the Wolves. Easy. 
I think it's. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to beat Denver or they're going to beat Memphis. I would maybe pick them to beat Sacramento. Like I think that'd be close. I I, I think Phoenix is going to win the West. I mean, I think they're the best team in the Western Conference, in my opinion. I know that's not shared by everybody. I, I think the Wolves would get swept by Phoenix. I think it would go like five against Denver, six against Memphis, seven one way or the other against Sacramento. That, that's it's also opinion. like losing the play in. Yeah. Or, or yeah. You know, and that's yeah, like that's the, that's, that's the rub. I think being the five would make you happier today, but it would be hell for two weeks as you just get swept in Phoenix. I think I would rather risk it playing. Again, my point of like Denver, Memphis, and Sacramento are going to have a ton of pressure. They would, they would, can you imagine 10 days of Chris Paul officiating? We just complained about officiating. Imagine having to watch Chris Paul do that for four or five games. That's a bad matchup for Minnesota. Good question. You're, you're asking me if there's a 60% chance that they can play the number one seed or a 100% chance that they can play the number four seed. I'll take the sure thing. In four games of the postseason, thank you. That's fair. All right. Uh, we got, we're going to do four more quick ones, and then we'll be done. Four more questions. All right. Thank you. Uh, I already said thank you to Britt for the vocabulary lessons. I appreciate that. Kyle, I want to say thank you for the uh, analogy. Hang on for a sec. I'm old, so I can't uh, hear right now what he's saying. I should talk louder. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're good. Kyle, I want to say thank you for the analogy lessons. You're fantastic with analogies, and Dane, I appreciate the basketball knowledge. Thank, um, thank my question, I know we want to limit our discussion about refereeing, but I am curious, when you guys are in media row and the fans start shouting, refs, you suck, I'm curious what your perspective is on that. It's taught me a little bit about mob mentality, because when I'm at home, I get upset. I'm like, we should just shut up, let them do their thing. But when I'm at the stadium, I definitely join in. So I'm just curious. Yeah. What you're so I'm going to take this one, yeah, yeah. because I'm... 1,650 miles away on the West Coast, and I am also chanting, refs, you suck. But I just want to make a quick distinction that, like, I've said this before on Pods with Dane, with Phil Mackey, the Minnesota Timberwolves do not deserve anybody that's in this building for the years of incompetence. So the fact that you're still here is fucking amazing. Um, but I also want to, like, these guys have no influence on the officiating. So when you think the media needs to hold the officials accountable or things that doesn't work like that doesn't matter like so i think if you're a fan and you're paying money there is very few investments in life that have paid you back less than being a timberwolves fan um but i think if you show up to the arena and you want to boo a poor performance on the court a poor performance on the officiating a poor a poor podcast by dane like you should let it out so that's my fan perspective but these guys can come at it from a more smarter angle of being in the media. Yeah, I mean, what, what's the question? <laughs> like, could, could we influence it? Or I, I mean, oh, oh the, the the rep you suck. Yeah. Uh, my opinion is that fuels the worst parts of cap. That's kind of what I was curious about. Just because I'm, I'm curious how it affects the on the court product and also the on the court product from the referees. If it affects no, the bias. It does not affect the referees. No? All right. I do not think it affects the referees. I regard the ref you suck to be like maybe just a little bit ahead of the wave. But I think <laughs> but I, I, I think they're both really inconsequential. Yeah, I agree with that. People want to do what they want to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm not telling people Go what they it. can't do, but yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Thank you. All right, we'll do uh, three more questions here. Rob from Plymouth. What up, Rob? 
aunt gets uh, all-star berth, and then uh, he gets uh, an unfortunate injury to his ankle. And then, of course, the intestinal issues that are going on. And so uh, what, not much has been said about the lack of uh, momentum going on with Ant. What's, what's to expect here in the next two games out of Ant and subsequently afterwards? Yeah, so the, the question there was what's to be expected of Ant, and Ant has had a pretty substantial downturn, right, Britt, since, since Cat got back. And I think a lot of it has to do with the ankle and the illness, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that Ant plays worse basketball when Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns are on the floor. It's not been a good fit in year one. The best version of Ant... The very best version of Ant was with neither Rudy or Cat on the floor. The next best version of Ant was with Rudy on the floor. And the worst version is when the team's at full strength. That's my opinion. Britt? Yeah, I, I think if you want to be optimistic, then pray for the waters to part and Ant to be January Ant and have it be something where he goes off for 35, 9, and 11. Britt, Britt, can that happen when Kat and Rudy are both healthy? Is that even possible? Very unlikely, but I also think it's almost like Chris Finch would never bench D'Lo in such an embarrassing manner, except that it was the postseason and he was at the end of his last rope. I think that a play-in game both whether it's 7, 8, or 8, 9, you do what you need to do to win. And I think it's possible that if Ann has it going and Cat and Rudy are getting in his way, that it is possible that he will put a, a lineup on the floor that will maximize that. All I'm saying is I'm on record as being pretty pessimistic about the play-in slash playoffs. But if you wanted my best scenario as to how they make it into the first round, it is that Ant is incandescent and basically has everybody writing about him the day after the play-in. The national guys are saying, oh, yeah, ta-da, 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 and the narrative is reset. And by the way, that's the kind of player Ant is anyway. Anybody who saw him in the playoffs last year, He'll rise, I think, and I hope that the oceans will part enough for him to rise. Two more quick questions here. Here we go. Thank you for the question. Uh, Spencer from Lakeville South. Go Cougars. My question is, uh, Tim Connolly, why does it seem like I never see or hear from this man? And I ask because I feel like when Gerson Rosas was in charge, I saw him a lot in interviews and press conferences, whatever it is. I think I've seen Tim Connolly on TV once since the initial press conference. I'll take that one. Uh, Gerson wanted that. That's actually not the norm. Um, I, I, in all seriousness, I, I really don't think that's like Connolly super dodging it. Uh, Rosas really wanted it to be clear that he was in charge of the rebuild and he wanted to be in front of the camera and letting people know that. And then I'm like, Rosas, whatever. I, that's his prerogative. He can, he can choose to do that. And, and Conley, that's what Conley was like in Denver too, for, for the record. I mean, he's going to talk at the end of the season here. 
he'll do he'll do like more things going forward. Um, I, I've heard that a lot, and 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 I get it. Like maybe he should have done it a little bit more, given how bad it's been. But uh, I think the juxtaposition of how Rosas was, like operates, is a little bit makes that more jarring than it is. Let's take a final question here. Yeah. So I got something everybody's probably thinking but won't say. This team can never be a, con a legit contender with Carl Anthony Towns on your team. He's been here too long to be a number three scoring option, and we must build around Anthony Edwards. Where's the Where's the question in there? <laughs> I, I love I love the podcast, by the way. Yeah. The question is your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I don't think the Wolves are going to win a championship next year. I don't. I mean, like the the peak of this franchise. If I had to get, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't say anything with for certain. Probably the best version of the Timberwolves is five years away. And that's when Ant is 26. I think that's kind of always been the case. I don't think, I mean, they might say that this move was to make them a contender. I don't, I mean, I think it was to make them relevant. I think there was external factors, new ownership, all that stuff. And they wanted to raise Ant in a winning environment so that when he is 26, and maybe he is one of the best players in the league that you can you can really contend at a high level. Like, I, I, I mean, do people still think that it is Cat over Ant? I, I don't think so. I mean, hopefully Cat can fit into a 1B role. I, I mean, I understand the skepticism there, but, yeah, this team probably isn't going to win a championship with Cat as the best player, just as, like, I mean, I don't know, just like the Suns weren't going to win a championship, but Devin Booker is the best player. And I think Devin Booker's awesome. Um, the hope is that Ant can transcend that level. That's my my thought on it. Kyle? I've said this all season. I just, 39 of their last 52 games have been in clutch time situations. That means you're in like five-point games with four minutes left or whatever. I watch, as Britt does and Dane does and everyone else, like I watch a lot of basketball and I just worry. The kid who saved the franchise, as I said, I wonder what his career arc looks like if he's playing on 30 and 52 teams for five, six years. Does he become a two-way guy? Does Jaden become a two-way guy, not just a defensive guy? So to the Tim Conley question, to the Rudy Gobert thing that we'll discuss for years, my optimistic take is just putting the future of the franchise, the kid who saved the franchise in winning moments as early as you can, to Dane's point, you don't win in the NBA unless you're 26, 27. There's just, there's not 21 year olds winning titles. So it sucks right now and it's frustrating and it's cockatacious or whatever the word is. Um, but it's also four years from now, maybe the moment that we needed to win one title. I butchered that. I'm so sorry. Britt, do you have a thought on that? I think that. Um, and never, I, I'm actually really surprised that we got the negative cat question like on the 16th question. If you ask it. <laughs> uh, but here's what I will say. What you ideally want is a highly reliable, low-maintenance star. The worst-case scenario is a high-maintenance, low-reliable star. I think thus far... Cat has been a high-maintenance, medium-reliable star. 
But in all of those phrases, the most important word is the third one, and that is star. Cat, undeniably, is a star. If the Wolves did not pay him the max, another team would have paid him the max. Is he a player that has enough completeness within him to naturally lead teammates? I think that is a definite no. And I think it always has been. And I think that anybody who expects anything out of that, like that from him, is dreaming. But that doesn't mean you have to think that he's useless. You just have to accommodate the fact that he does not get validation from within himself. That's just the way it is. And so, therefore, you have to accommodate that into who he is. Is it worth it? I don't know. They drafted him first overall. He's been a historically great shooter. He's trying to play a position he doesn't play very well. He's sitting on the sidelines with a bad calf while Ant becomes the darling of the league. As somebody who is intensely aware of his own reputation, he sees how all the other stars from all the other teams come over to Ant, change jerseys, hug them. Ant is the guy with the magic touch. Cat doesn't have a magic touch. That's really got to hurt. The fact that he is dealing with that, dealing with a new position, dealing with the fact that he's been loyal for however long in the shitty franchise and still plugging in and still being maligned by a lot of the fan base and me very often on occasion because you can't get around it. Eventually, you have to talk about Cat. Cat made you talk about him in that Portland game where he had three fucking shots. They lost that game because Cat wanted to prove a point that didn't need to be proved because it wasn't the right point. All that said, if you lose him, you better get value. You better get a Rudy Gobert package. That's a, I think that's a, a good place to end this. Uh, give yourself a hand for coming out here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I think I speak on behalf of all three of us. Uh, this is, in our different ways, a, uh, we're really grateful to be able to do this uh, as a job and to be able to do it for you guys. Uh, this is, uh, we, have, we have love for this fan base. Britt, you once called it our tribe, um, and, and I'm with that, too. Uh, thank you for, for sticking with the show um, and, and listening to it. Thank you for being here tonight, and uh, see where the hell this team goes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for Britt, for Britt, for Kyle, I'm Dane. Uh, thank you again, and uh, talk to you in the playoffs. Peace out. I'm feeling man, I hope it never stop, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts So you can quickly and easily find what you need 
Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.